This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me into the Word of God, into the book of Jude, and we have been in the book of Jude uh, for a number of weeks. We were interrupted initially in the beginning of the coronavirus uh, situation, and, uh, and while we were meeting online for a number of weeks, I brought to you different messages that were dealing uh, with what we were facing at that moment, and then we uh, went back into the book of Jude even before we were able to meet together. And then, of course, this past Sunday, we had our first meeting together inside the auditorium in a number of weeks, and we had come uh, in our study of this book to verse number 17. Now, as Jude has written this little epistle with a lot of truth in it, <laughs> uh, we uh, have recognized at least five purposes that he has in writing it. I just want to share those with you in the introduction. Maybe you have not had the benefit of being involved in this with us, the study of this book. And so I just want to bring you quickly up to speed and show you that the purpose for this letter is important for us to understand. Number one, Jude wrote to awaken the church. He wrote to awaken the church to the subtle yet devastating attack of the enemy. We see that as it is given to us in verse 3 and 4 when he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you that and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. And so he's writing here to awaken them to the subtle and devastating attack that was already taking place against the truth of God's word. Peter had warned that it would come. Jude is now telling them it is here. Secondly, he wrote to explain that judgment would come upon these false teachers and all who would follow their teaching. He wrote to warn them of the judgment that would come. And judgment is coming. Make no mistake about it. And it is a part of the responsibility of God's people, God's church, to warn people of the impending judgment that was to take place. I think of, of Noah preaching for 120 years concerning the imminent flood that came upon the earth. And only eight who were inside the ark lived. And the only way that the people of this generation will survive is if they put their faith and trust in Jesus. He is that ark of salvation and safety. Thirdly, he wrote to help them identify the enemy. Remember, he said the enemy had crept in unawares. So how do we know who he is? It's not obvious who he is. And so in verses 8 through 11, he reveals the characteristics of the enemy in their motives and in their manners. Fourthly, he wrote to warn them that the influence of false teachers was beginning to corrupt the church. 
The influence of these false teachers was beginning to corrupt the church. We see it in verses 12 and six, 12 through 16, rather, when he said, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. So here they are among them. They're participating, and they are corrupting the church. And we have seen corruption come into so many churches. And in fact, today, Christianity is embroiled in debate and controversy and false teaching and false doctrine. And so what are we to do? Well, we are to do what Jude exhorted them, and this is the fifth and final purpose of this book. He wrote to exhort them to contend for the faith. Now, he speaks of this in verse 3, but he really begins to explain it for us in verses 17 through 25. Because when we hear this phrase, contend for the faith, we might wonder, well, how do we do that? And so he shows us at the conclusion of the book in verses 17 through 25, how we are to contend. The Bible says that we are to earnestly contend, and we understand the word earnestly means with seriousness, with, with uh, intensity, and the word really that comes to mind is with conviction. And so to contend earnestly means to contend with conviction. And last week, as we examined that thought, we noted five words which will help us establish conviction in our life and build conviction in our life because truthfully, conviction is not something that one comes to easily. We live in a culture that's full of ideas, it's full of preferences, it's full of beliefs, and it's full of opinions, but it is short on conviction. And if we're going to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, we understand that it was once and for all delivered to the saints. It does not change with the changing trends and fancies of generations. It is the truth of God that abides forever. It is eternal. It is unchanging. And therefore, if we're going to contend, we must have conviction. Now, the five words that we saw in verses 17 through verse number 20 was the word remember. We're to remember when we see these things taking place that the Bible told us these things would come to pass. You say, well, I can't believe what's happening in our nation, and I'm with you. But if we look at what God said in his word, we'll understand exactly why it has happened. Remember, he says. And then build, build yourself up in your most holy faith. And may God help us. We understand if we're going to build, it has to be intentional. It has to be purposeful. We must get in the word of God and build up our soul, build up our faith, fill our hearts and minds with his truth. The third word is pray, praying, he says, in the Holy Ghost. We're to pray. We cannot contend for the faith if we do not enter into the realm of prayer. And prayer is the very field of battle in our spiritual conflict. And may God help us to pray. And when we pray, we have an aid. We have an assistant, a helper. It's the Holy Spirit who helps our infirmities. And then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Here we find that we are to keep ourselves in the place of blessing. God never ceases to love us, but we can get outside the realm of his love when we decide to forsake him. And then he says, look, looking for the mercy of the Lord. So if I'm going to contend with conviction, I have to incorporate these five truths into my life. Now moving on from this thought of contending with conviction, we come now to verse number 22. I want you to look at it with me, please. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others say with fear, 
pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come again uh, together around your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher. I pray that you would fill me with your power. I pray that you would enable me to communicate faithfully the message that you have given to us. And I pray that you would help us all, Holy Spirit, to have understanding and to receive your word. May it fall upon good ground and bring forth fruit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to try to conclude this book of Jude with you this morning and give you three additional thoughts. Not only are we to contend with conviction, but we're going to find that we're going to contend with compassion and we're going to contend with caution and we're going to contend with confidence. This is what it means to earnestly contend. Contend with conviction, contend with compassion, contend with caution, contend with confidence. Let's look together now in verse number 22. And of some have, what's the next word, church? Compassion. Oh, if there's one thing missing, if there's one thing that is in short supply in today's culture, it's compassion. You see, the word compassion that is found here in our text, it speaks of mercy. It speaks of loving kindness. I don't see a lot of kindness in our world, do you? And if there's a need for anything, then we need mercy. We need the mercy of God. Now, we understand that Jude is writing to us, and he is exhorting us to earnestly contend for the faith. And that means we must contend for the truth of God's word. There is no doubt about that. And truth, like mercy, is a commodity that's in short supply. In fact, Hosea wrote in Hosea chapter 4, in verse number 1, as the Spirit of God moved upon him, the Lord said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. What is this controversy? Here it is, he says, because there is no truth. Oh, we're missing truth today. Nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery they break out and blood toucheth blood in other words there's going to be violence in our land there's all sorts of sin why because there is no truth there's no mercy there's no knowledge of God therefore we have a land full of iniquity he says in verse 3 therefore shall the land mourn not much rejoicing in America today, is there? Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. God said, when you take truth out, when you take mercy out, when you take me out, what you have is chaos. And that's what we have. 
So what is it that we need? We need mercy. We need truth. And we need God. So he's called on us to earnestly contend. And, all, and when we think about the word contend, to be honest with you, we think about being contentious, right? I mean, I, I, I said to the, the, the last group that met, I said, I want to be honest with you. I said, well, I hope I'm always honest with you. <laughs> I intend to be honest with you. But let me be transparent. When I see what's happening in our country, when I see what has been happening, not just this week, not just the last month, not just this year, but when I see what's been happening in our country for numbers of years, I'll be honest with you, there are times I get angry. And I think to myself, why is it that these people cannot see what is so obvious? Why is it that we are turning away from God and his truth? Why is it that there's this contempt and disdain for God's word and for his son and for his church? Why is it that we have turned our back on what this nation was founded upon? Why is it that we have embraced this new morality and make no mistake about it, the old morality, the, the morality that is a Bible-based morality that this nation was founded upon. Did you know that no nation has ever had such a Christian beginning as this nation? That morality, that truth has been rejected and a new morality has been ushered in. It's the morality that Paul spoke of when he says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they will not listen to Bible truth, but they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will find people who will tell them what they want to hear. And Jeremiah, in the word of God, as he wrote, he said this. He said, as God spoke to him, he says, uh, my people love to have it so. Love to have it how? They love to have it in a way where they don't have to be confronted with God's truth, but where they can hear what they want to hear. Lies and deceit. And that's the generation you're living in. And by the way, if you speak out or act in a way that is contrary to the new morality, then you will face wrath. The Hebrew boys, among the multitude gathered on the plains of Dura with, with the crowd and Nebuchadnezzar there and his golden image, which he was so proud of. And he said, hey, listen, when you hear the music, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to bow down and worship the golden image. And the music played. And there were three boys there, three, who said, we're not going to bow. And they faced the wrath of the king. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. I want to tell you, the furnace is seven times hotter today than ever before. The king's wrath, the wrath of the legislators of the new morality will come against you in a heartbeat if you don't bow. So we're all faced with this, this pressure, this, this intimidation, this coercion, either to bow or to burn. What shall we do? Well, God said we're to contend, but not contentiously, compassionately. Now, as I said, there's no mercy in the land. We see that happening. People's lives, people's characters are, are destroyed. False accusations are made, recklessly made. In many, in many instances, 
we, ha- we know they've been made intentionally to hurt someone without any regard for truth and with no accountability given to the one who is making the false accusation. It's unbelievable what we see happening in our culture. And it is all because there is no mercy. You see, when we come to this passage and we see, uh, we see Jude writing, and if some have compassion, making a difference. He's saying some to, to some. In fact, to all, we must show compassion. But to some, it will make a difference. And the word difference here speaks of the fact that, that, as MacArthur points out in his commentary, we're dealing with three different types of people in verse 22 and 23. We're dealing with those who are confused. And we're dealing with those who have been convinced of this false teaching. And then we are dealing with those who are committed to this false teaching. Now, in verse number 22, when he speaks about having compassion, he's speaking directly about those who are confused. In other words, they have not intentionally embraced necessarily these doctrines, and they have not totally rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are just victims. They're confused by all of the competing voices that are taking place. So let me read what John Phillips writes. He says, so many people in our day have been brainwashed by the bland sophistries of the apostate. You see, we take children, we put them in a secular education system that says there is no God. where they're taught that any behavior is acceptable, any morality is okay, and what is your truth is your truth, and what somebody else's truth is is their truth. And, and then we wonder why we have a society that is so confused. Well, it is because they have been brainwashed. They have not deliberately, he says, rejected Christ. They have been taught wrongly. Such people always have hope. They have not sinned against the Holy Spirit. They might be stubborn and argumentative, but we as Christians who know the truth, we must show compassion. This task requires gentleness and patience. As parents, we've learned that, right? I hope we have. If we haven't, we're driving our kids away. We're not bringing them to the Lord. With gentleness and patience, with compassion, with love in our heart, when we deal with this crowd, when, when we deal with those who reject God and who shout him down and who, who deny his truth and who hate his word, the Bible says we've got to be full of compassion toward those people. Not contempt, compassion. He says we must make the allowance for the fact that some of them have long been subjected to false teaching. Hey, they didn't grow up the way you did. They haven't had the advantages you've had. They haven't heard the truth you've had. Maybe they didn't grow up in a loving home like you have. And so he says you have to be considerate of that, and you have to be compassionate toward them. He says arguing is not likely to win such people. Remember that God goes after the heart. The word compassion reminds us of that fact. Often love will find a way where logic fails. (laughs) (laughs) we live in an irrational world, don't we? And you just think, come on now. I mean, just use your mind here. Logic. But love is the key. May God help us. May God transform us. May we see that the problem is not with them, it's with us. And our attitude and our heart. 
He said, someone has well said that we go into the kingdom of God heart first, not head first. God has not called the soul winner to be a lawyer to win arguments. Oh, we love debate, don't we? There was a program on years ago called Crossfire. You guys remember that? (laughs) We love debates. What we don't need, we don't need more debates. We need more love. We need more compassion. Not everybody's going to believe. Not all have obeyed the gospel. But we are called to proclaim it. He has called us to be witnesses. The most convincing witness is the person who reminds people of Christ. And what is Jesus full of? He is full of grace and truth. The Bible said Peter and John, when the, when the crowd saw Peter and John, they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they conducted themselves as did Jesus. You see, we need wisdom in this hour. And James says this in James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, that means wisdom from God. What we need is supernatural wisdom. He says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, notice this, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Not harsh, not ready to pounce on you. Let me tell you, buddy, no. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. In other words, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not discriminatory. It's not prejudiced. By the way, let me tell you where prejudice and racial bias exists. It exists in the heart of all people. Let me tell you why it exists, because we're all sinners. And prejudice and bias is not exclusive to racial differences. It's, it involves every area of our lives. It's in us. It's in the fabric of who we are. That's why we look at people and we make judgments about people that we don't even know. I don't like that guy. I don't like his attitude. Well, I don't even know that guy. So who am I to say I don't like him? And guess what? Maybe he doesn't like me. And if we both go on those impulses, guess what's going to happen? We're going to end up in a brawl. You see, that's because we're fallen, sinful creatures. And we need the grace and mercy of God. And I'm thankful that God, when I was unlovely, that God, while I was yet a sinner, loved me and Christ paid for my sins. I didn't deserve it. I am a recipient today of the mercy of God, the judgment that I deserved, the wrath of God upon my sin. He has withheld from me. He poured it out upon his son, and I have received by faith his son, and therefore it does not have to be poured out upon me. In fact, what is given to me is not the wrath of God, but the righteousness of God that has been imputed to my account. And so here I am this morning, and here you are this morning, hopefully a recipient of God's mercy. If you haven't been a recipient of the mercy of God, you can receive it today by putting your faith and trust in him. The Bible said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died on the cross for me, that he rose again the third day, and I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I will receive him. The Bible said, if I'll call upon him, he will save me. I'll receive his mercy. If they had simply gotten in the ark with Noah instead of scorned and ridiculed him when the rain came and the fountains of the deep were broken up, they would not have perished in the flood. Now, as a recipient of God's mercy, I am to be a dispenser of it. I'm to be a conduit. 
I'm to let the mercy and love of God that he has shed on my heart, shed upon me, I am to let that be shed abroad in my heart toward others. They are to see the love and mercy of God. So when you see somebody that looks different than you, who acts different from you, who carries themselves different from you, irregardless or regardless of the color of their skin, let me say this, show them love. Greet them in a way they don't expect to be greeted. With a smile, with warmth, loving kindness and mercy. If they're embroiled in some behavior that you don't like to see or they're using a language that you don't want to hear, I don't care. Extend to them the love and mercy of God. That may be all that you have the opportunity to do, but what you don't know is what God will do with that. You see, if they're ever going to see Jesus, they're only going to see him through you, church. May God fill us with compassion. The Bible says in Luke 6, 27, but I say unto you which hear, are you willing to hear? But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. How do you do that? God did it when we were enmity against him. Do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. You know, we'd be better off if we'd quit watching the news and fussing about everything and get on our knees and start praying for these people. Not hate them, but love them. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you want mercy? Oh, I need it. I need it. I need it. You need it. The longer I live, the more I learn of God, and the more I learn of myself, the more I recognize how much I need mercy. Proverbs eleven seventeen: the merciful man doeth good to his own soul. In other words, when I extend mercy to others, I help myself. Bitter, angry people hurt themselves. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. James 2.13, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. In other words, if I can't show mercy to others, I'm not going to be the recipient of mercy. I'm not going to be the recipient of it. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. You see, mercy and truth are companions. Truth without mercy leads to condemnation. And mercy without truth leads to condemnation. May God help us to be people as Christians who are full of compassion. That's the only thing that will make a difference. Do you want to make a difference? I want to make a difference. I want our church to make a difference. Well, then we've got to contend with conviction, with compassion, and then thirdly, with caution. With caution. The Bible says in verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, he's not speaking of those now who are confused. He's speaking of those who've been convinced. And now they're inside the building of the apostates. They're inside the building of the false teachers. They're inside the building or the institution of the new morality. And the building's on fire. And the firemen are gathered at the station. And who are the firemen? That's us. And this is a five alarmer. And now we're arriving on the scene. And what do we hear? We hear the screams 
of those within the building who are trapped. We see the raging inferno, and it's our job to go in. But we can't just rush in foolishly, right? We've got to go in cautiously, and we've got to snatch them. We're not going to get everybody, but we're going to snatch a few of those who are convinced. We're going to snatch a few out of the fire. By the way, if you were in the fire, wouldn't you be thankful for the one that pulled you out? And so we have to be cautious. We have to exercise caution and wisdom because if we don't, here's what may happen. We may lead the crew astray and it may cost us our life and it may cost the lives of others in our crew. We don't want to bring things into this church that are going to hurt and damage us. We don't want to bring things into our home. We don't want to, we don't want to get involved in things that are going to lead our children down a path of destruction. And by the way, I met with our teenagers this past Wednesday evening, and I talked to them about their response to everything that's happening in our nation, and I told them they need to stay off social media. There are people who are scanning through your child's social media, and as soon as they say one thing that they don't agree with, they will expose them, they will send a mob against them. It's happened time and time again in this country. And I'm not defending some of the reckless comments that others have made, but what we need to understand is that these are children, and they won't always be just like they are, and when we give them the truth, they will make changes. Aren't you glad somebody didn't have a camera on you when you were 18 years old? I'm certainly glad they didn't have one on me. You'd get up and walk out of this auditorium. I don't want to hear that guy. But because of the mercy of God, I stand before you today. And these people, these kids in this generation need the same mercy. And they're not going to get it from the world. They're only going to get it from God and God's people. And here we are as Christians, and we have to be cautious what we let our family get exposed to, what we let our children get exposed to. Now, we have to teach them to use certain things. and We can't keep them from everything, but we have to love them enough and get in their heart enough to, to, to create in their heart a love for us and a love for God and his truth and teach them how to navigate these difficult waters. And they're so difficult. But there are people that we've got to go in the building for. And we can come out unscathed if we're wise. You see, it's, it's unimaginable where we are today, isn't it? When you have the most depraved cases of immoral behavior being paraded in your public school system or in your libraries, and if you don't bring your kids to it, you're branded. You've got to have wisdom and caution to navigate those waters. And these are the waters that we are in. May God give us caution and wisdom. And then he says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This is a crowd that's not convinced. They're committed. They're the ones who are teaching this stuff. And as, as Jude has warned us, the reason they're going this way is because of their ungodly lusts. They take pleasure in this wickedness and this perversion and in their rebellion against God. And they are the ones who teach it. And he says, we have to have contempt, not for them, but for the sin. Because if we don't, 
because of what resides in us, our flesh, our sin nature, our craving, our, our, our curiosity for such things could lead us astray and into danger. And so if we're going to be cautious, we have to have contempt, not for the people of this world, but for the sin of this world. And so we contend with conviction. We contend with compassion. We contend with caution. May God give his people wisdom today. May God help us as parents not to be disengaged. The reason we have such a wayward generation is because we have parents, even if they are in the home, who are disengaged from what's happening in the hearts and minds of their kids. We better contend for their hearts. And then lastly, contend with confidence. I said a moment ago, sometimes I get aggravated, I get frustrated. To be honest with you, I get angry. But I cannot react and respond in anger. Let me also say to you, sometimes I get really discouraged. Don't you? I get really discouraged. I start wondering, what's going to happen? What about our church? What about our teenager? What kind of world are they growing up in? What about my grandson and my grandson that's God willing on the way? I mean, what about all of that? I mean, that's what I get troubled about. I think about it. And Jude reminds us here as we're in the middle of this conflict that we need to be confident. Now, where does my confidence come from? Well, it comes from the Lord, and it comes from his word. So let's look into it. Look with me. Verse 24. Are you there? Now unto him that is fill in the blank, church. Let's do it again. Now unto him that is God is able. Do you believe that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this world and became a man without ceasing to be God, who faced the temptation of the devil in the wilderness and defeated him, who, 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 who demonstrated his power over disease and over death and over demons, over the elements of nature, who went to the cross bearing my sin and died and came out of the grave on the third day. He is able. To keep me from falling and to keep you from falling and to keep my kids from falling and to keep our church members from falling. And so I can contend with confidence. I don't have to wring my hands in despair and chew off my fingernails. I can trust God. And if I don't trust God, then that's what I'm going to do. He says, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, glory and majesty, dominion. You know, our God is a king. Jesus is a king. One day, King Jesus is coming again. And all the hosts of heaven is coming with him. And he's going to put down the rebellion of this world and he's going to establish his throne on this earth and he is going to rule on the throne of David for 1,000 years and Satan will be bound. And if you will ever see a time of justice, it'll be the time when King Jesus is reigning. It will be a time of perfect justice. There will be no injustice in the earth. 
But after a thousand years of the righteous rule of Jesus, there'll still be a crowd of rebels who want to overthrow him. And the Lord is going to lose Satan for just a season. And Satan's going to round them all up, and they're going to come. Imagine their arrogance. Imagine their stupidity. Imagine them in their rebellion coming against the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he'll put them down in just a moment. And then a new heaven and a new earth, and a judgment will come. He has dominion. He has power. God is not nervous in the heavens, friend. He's in control. And our ship is not spinning out of control. We're safe inside the ark. Let's reside in it. Let's learn to contend with conviction, with compassion, with caution, and with confidence. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.